people all around the world love sport. From playing ball in the backyard through to the Olympic and Paralympic podiums, the majority of the world's population play, watch and enjoy sport. Steve Dart from Play Hard Sports gives listeners the chance to meet people from across the world of entertainment, sports and business who are affecting the way international sport is unfolding. So, with the combination of technology, passion and great people wanting to tell their story, it gives rise to Play Hard Sports Behind the Games podcast. Today we're down at Sydney at the National Sports Convention at Rose Hill Racecourse. Play Hard Sports, Behind the Games podcast, welcomes Rob Blackadder. For more than a generation, Rob has been contributing his skills and passion for athletics to athletes and athletics New South Wales. Known for his accommodating personality and willingness to help, Rob is widely regarded as one of the leading and best competition officials in Australia. He has also worked with Oceania athletes in the Cook Islands, Palu and Samoa and has frequently been the technical delegate at championships ensuring that all the technical arrangements for a competition are in complete conformity with the rules. Rob has been very involved in Paralympic competition and has been a senior official at many local and international championships including several world IPC championships. For seven years from 1999... Rob was the ANSW Commissioner for Officials and on the Officials Advisory Panel. Starting as a throws judge, Rob has officiated at National Championships, Grand Prix meets and the Sydney 2000 and London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. He has also worked with Oceania athletes in the Cook Islands, Palu and Samoa and has frequently been the technical delegate at Championships ensuring that all the technical arrangements for a competition are in complete conformity with the rules. Rob has been very involved in Paralympic competition and has been a senior official at many local and international championships, including several world IPC championships. Well, Rob, as one of the most prominent officials in New South Wales athletics and Australia, welcome you to uh, tonight's recording. As a kid, you played most of your team games and at school specialised in swimming, athletics and rugby. Take us back to those early days. Well, that's a long time ago. And it was in the UK, uh, in the equivalent of the state system. Um, yes, and we had to play games which were sort of available at the time. I remember on one occasion uh, we had our little T-shirts on and skimpy athletic shorts and we had to shuffle down the lines to remove the snow before we could play a game of rugby. Excellent. Um, I didn't progress too far through that system as far as athletics or sport went because the coaches weren't around. Your PE teacher, if he was keen on a sport or you, uh, would uh, take you under the wing and, and go from there. But it, uh, these days, there's so many pathways for people to achieve. And I think this is one of the great uh, bounds forward that we've made in recent years. Wonderful. At this time, I'll also introduce Trevor Bowman, who's the founder of Play Hard Sports, who's one of the main uh, um, organisers for this podcast series. Trevor, introduce yourself. 
Uh, thanks there, Steve. Yeah, Trevor Bowman from Playhard Sports. I'm um, a product designer and uh, company manager. And uh, hello to you too, Rob. It's nice to meet you, Trevor. How did, how did you get into this game? Uh, by being a lousy basketballer, actually. That's uh, how I started. Um, I used to go to uh, schools at weekends to practice, and I found that the basketball rings were either bent or missing. Uh, so I... I don't know why, but I did. I designed a spring tension basketball ring that uh, was different than the way other people did. Uh, so I had a company manufacture that for us, and then we packaged them in our home, sent them out to schools. Uh, then people wanted other things, and then eventually, uh, several years down the track, we were asked to build a hammer throw cage. And we said, yeah, we can do that. And then... Uh, worked out how, how to do that and uh, here we are now so we're uh, yeah okay I'm always interested to know how other people get to the same position I am <laughs> wonderful well let's go back for you um, uh, were you a good student at school not particularly uh, keen on school enjoyed my school but I was never an academic person yes I do have a, a degree in physical education now but I trained initially uh, for three years in the UK to be a teacher and it wasn't a degree course it was only when I came to Australia in the 70s an inspector of schools pulled me inside and said if you want to get in on this uh, uh, game you need a degree and that was the level we were at uh, back in the 70s Wonderful, is that when you were into your uh, you race sailboats back around that time was it, is that when you first arrived in Australia? Oh yes, later on um, sailboats came along, but that was after the fun runs and marathon oh, right, okay. uh, chapter. Um, when we arrived, Heather and I, we had no kids. Uh, in fact, we still joke we're on honeymoon because we left UK about seven days after we got married. And uh, because I played rugby union for the local club, I uh, joined in Parramatta, funnily enough, local club. And uh, that's how we discovered mm. Sydney by going to all the different grounds and uh, playing in the well, basically old and bold or the evergreens. I was never a, a yep. high-caliber yep. player. Um, and then uh, fun runs were big in those days, Trevor, as you might remember, sp- uh, surf life slaving clubs. Right, yes. They, they, yes, ra- they raised yeah. money. Yes. And uh, I did those, and that led to marathons. Uh, I actually ran against uh, Rob DiCostello on one occasion in Canberra. Um, All I saw was the back of his shorts (laughs) as he disappeared right from the start line. Your claim to fame is that you were at the start of the front row of the City to Surf. That's true. That was about the same time. Um, I'd been persuaded by a colleague at school to join in this uh, uh, special event. And I managed to run all the way from start to finish, which surprised me a bit, especially up Heartbreak Hill. It's a, it's a long hill. It's a long hill. In fact, probably more than half the race is uphill. So it's a, Absolutely. Yeah. So um, oh, I, I did particularly well one year, and I was invited back the next year to start on the front grid. Um, I didn't actually take up the offer because my brother-in-law came from the UK that year, and uh, he had only just taken up running. We decided we would start at the back of the pack and see how many people we could pass. We stopped counting after (laughs) (laughs) 28,000. What a great story. Um, 
maybe some of your experience from London as a volunteer at the uh, London Olympic and Paralympic Games. Can you take us back to that time? Certainly can. In fact, I was looking at some pictures today. Um, After the Sydney 2000 Paralympic experience, I was asked the question, well, where do you go from here? And I said, oh, I'll just keep going. Um, Melbourne Com Games was the next one. Yep. After that, I decided, well, yes, I quite like these big events, and I put my hand up and had an interview at half past midnight. To, would, would I be a volunteer in London, and where did I think I could best fit into the team? And I ended up in the technical area yet again with special... Um, responsibility for looking after all the poles for the pole vault okay go a bit deeper into that that was uh, for the london games and uh, i actually suggested that when athletes bought their poles they marked them with color coding so we knew which was the men which was the women and which were required for the multi-events and i ended up with three pole mountains i kid you not Uh, each pile would be over a meter high some athletes bringing two bags, Stephen Hooker for one, and we had to take their poles, put them into a special carry on trolley, which was then taken onto the arena. After they had competed, we had to bring them all back again, try and get them back into their right bags, ready for their trip off around the world, wherever they were going next. Gee whiz. So, so when you were doing that, why, why look for Australians to do that? Was there, was there any any special interest there or as opposed to looking for European uh, officials? Why? As a volunteer I let it be known that I was actually quite high up and quite graded if you like in the Australian way and a technical manager had been my appointed position for a number of years so they suddenly realised they might have a volunteer on their hands that knew more than the technical judges <laughs> so I think they, uh, they saw me coming yeah. And uh, I was put in charge of a group of volunteers there to do all sorts of jobs. The pole vault one was just one of them. For the Paralympics, because I am actually an international technical official with the Para Games too, they had me train up all the volunteers for what they call the tie-downs. There's an event for athletes who can't stand on their own legs. And they call it the seated throw. Mm. Uh, To be confident in being able to throw and not fall out of the chair, you have to tie the athlete to a chair. The chair is then tied down to a base plate, and the base plate is anchored in the ground. Well, I had 90 volunteers that I had to train up, a different 30 every three days. Wow. Uh, But it was an awful lot of fun. And again, they knew my background, and they said, ah, yep, Blackadder, you're the one. (laughs) Very good. Your career aim has always been to help athletes achieve their potential. Do you feel you've reached that and and helped that in in many ways? I don't think you ever reach the finish line for that sort of statement. You're always helping somebody. Um, Just yesterday I was uh, talking with a young fellow half my age who uh, is working for the Commonwealth Games up in um, the Gold Coast, and I'm helping him uh, present the best event that he can yep. uh, as far as track and field goes and every time you go to a meet you'll meet a new athlete and uh, especially with the uh, para-athletes 
they are learning very fast because there's not that many coaches around who can help them, uh, especially with the technical side of things. And the rules are just the same as for able-bodied, but with modifications, obviously, to help them overcome their, um, their disability. So, in a sense, you're helping them understand uh, what they're able to do as opposed to just the technical part of, of, of measuring, etc., and judging them? That's, so that, that's right, Trevor. Athletes who have a bit of um, competitive spirit in them are keen to test themselves. So they might try swimming first, decide swimming's no good. They might go for wheelchair basketball. Um, They'll often try track and field because of the range of events you can do. You can throw, you can jump if you are able. Um, And, of course, just about everybody can run or push a wheelchair, and so you become a track athlete. So um, I've helped, for example, Kurt Fernley way back when he was starting. I put him in contact with a a parent of a kid I taught at school who was a fitness person, and they did lots of cross-training, including boxing, in their local garage, which was about a five-minute walk from uh, the school I was working at in the time. Very good. I'm going to mention some memorable moments for you, Rob. And I want you to give me a word that sums up that experience. Congratulating Kurt Fernley in the post-event area on his first Paralympic medal in Sydney. Extreme pride. That's it? That's two words. All right. (laughs) Walking out to your first ever event in Sydney Olympics was memorable. And as a realisation of that, after all the training talks and preparation, you had finally made it to the big one. How did it feel? I, I was speechless. Uh, hairs on the back of the neck. This, this is not one word, Steve. I realise that. But this, this is it. Um, you're looking around. You're working in front of 110,000 people. Wow. Uh, on the first occasion, it was a bit um, overwhelming. Little story here. Please. This is what we're after. As, as um, a new official to Sydney and both the um, Olympics and Paralympics, I was asked to speak to the paid employees of SOCOP. Uh, they had uh, a series of lunchtime chats. They would bring their sandwich to a table. They would have a number of people and they would answer questions such as you're asking today. One of the questions I was asked was probably exactly that. What was going to be the hardest thing for me to do in my job for the Olympics as a throws judge? My answer was concentrate. I've got the best seat in the house with the grass area, with a track around the outside, and I'm expected to concentrate on what I'm doing when Cathy Freeman's winning a gold medal? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Hearing the 70,000-plus crowd at the Paralympics sing Australia's national song made the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. How was that? It, it, was, it was fantastic. It really was. It, um, I happened to be on one occasion in the call room, which was uh, on the warm-up track just outside the main thing, and the para-athletes from other countries stopped absolutely still. The whole place... 60, 100 people. And they said, what is that? And I stopped and listened. 
and it was the entire 70,000 crowd singing Australia's national anthem because obviously somebody had won a gold medal. And it was very good marketing ploy. They offered children, I think it was an $8 ticket, allowed you into Olympic Park, you could go to any event. Now these kids had all been taught the song. <laughs> so they sang. We had a 70,000 voice choir singing for a para-athlete who prior to that had probably only performed in front of 10 people, including his mum and dad. She was Brilliant. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was, absolutely. Another one for you. Being present at the Carl Lewis show at SOPAC, when you had the biggest ever crowd in attendance in Sydney, how was that? That, again, was really something. Um, didn't know what to expect. Carl Lewis was a... a, a brilliant ambassador for the sport and I still believe he is he's uh, up there with Usain Bolt and he was very personable he won the entire crowd over by running around after he'd finished I think fifth in his race running right around hand slapping anybody who wanted to lean over the fence including any officials who stood in his way and it was it was great it really was a great showpiece for track and field athletics Thank you so much. What inspires you each day? I've said to a lot of people, I'm not very good at doing nothing. So if people like yourself don't come to me and say, Rob, how about we do this, that or the other, then I'll go and find something to do. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to a local school uh, carnival. I'm going to help set up the equipment for them. Um, and at the same time, I'll be taking my laptop and I've got some work to do, um, as I mentioned, with Com Games and equipment to do with them. You're very inspirational, but who is your inspiration? That comes from a number of people, I think I have to say. Okay. Um, early on, it was... Um, people associated with probably wheelchair athletes I do a lot of work with wheelchair sports in New South Wales yep. meeting a coach of uh, Louis Savage for example um, he, is a, he was a great mentor for me Athletics Australia there was a wonderful lady who unlike me could remember everybody's name and she was constantly trying to push you to do just a little bit more um, Lorraine Morgan, I'm going to give her a rap. She, she was uh, inspirational for me. And then, of course, when you deal with athletes, they all, in their own way, um, give you some pep. So um, it comes from a variety. of couldn't be just one person. I've been very lucky, uh, here in Australia particularly, yep. in meeting people that um, inspire you to do better. Well said. What accomplishment in your life are you most proud of? Big question. Repre representing Australia? I keep telling myself I did as an official. Yep. Uh, I'll have to say here and now it, it wasn't cheap. Uh, just to be a technical official in Sydney, I added up that it cost me the best part of $20,000 because you had to travel to different meets and uh, put in the requirement. Never thought about that while you were doing it. Yep. Keen to get there. I'd never been to an Olympic Games before. So that is one thing. 
on a personal level, running one of my marathons, I hit that magic level they call a natural high. And sprinting down the esplanade at Bond, uh, Manly, uh, I swear my feet didn't touch the ground. You were that euphoric about what you were doing and achieving. My time wasn't great, but it didn't matter. It was better for me, and um, yes, I can tick that box that I've, I've done that, been there. Wonderful. I might ask uh, you a question first, and I'll ask Trevor. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Biggest risk? <laughs> Trevor, would you like to answer first while I think okay. about that? <laughs> um, yes. Well, I remember an occasion uh, not long before uh, my father died. Um, <clears throat> I had a uh, well-paid job. Um, I was about to give a, be given a company car, and I turned it all in to start my business. And in a phone conversation with my father, and I, I told him what I'd done, and he says, do you know what you're doing? And I said to him, yes, I do. I was emphatic about it, but I lied to him. And that's probably the biggest risk I ever took because I was only recently married uh, and to go from a well-paid job to my wife supporting me, basically, or supporting us, uh, yeah, that, that, that was a, a big risk. But um, go back to it, I'll do it again. I, I wouldn't use the word risk. Um, I was born in Scotland, and I don't believe the Scots take risks very much. But coming to Australia, I think would probably rank up there with them. Um, I was a £10 pom, and I still think it's the best money I ever spent. And I brought Heather with me, my wife, and I said, basically, my... my Words to her were, I'm going to Australia, would you like to come? <laughs> and then would you like to marry me? Let's well, ask you nicely. Not quite in that order, maybe, but it, it, thereabouts. And she said yes to both those things. Uh, we came, we, the contract was for two years. If we didn't like it, you saved up your money and you went home again. We decided we did like it. Um, the hard part was going back four years later to tell the parents that no we're not going back to the UK anymore we've, we've found Australia I don't know that you call it a risk but I, in hindsight I think a lot of people would say that Do you often get back home very often? Not now, we used to uh, go back regularly and keep ourselves poor, taking children back to show their grandparents um, That they're now out of that uh, classification so um, we, um, we, we go back now to do different things and meet people that we haven't done before. Uh, planning on uh, Spain next year as part of the world. I had actually driven through uh, in my surfing days from the UK. 1947 Willis Jeep, two surfboards on top, cross the channel on the ferry, drive from <laughs> top to bottom of France, finished in San Sebastian and surfing in Bear Ritz. That's as much as I've seen of Spain. <laughs> Are you, uh, you've got a good family around you. Um, is the family unit important to you? Absolutely. Um, I couldn't have achieved all the things that I've done without the support, Trevor mentioned the same, of, of family. Uh, yes, I've had to modify some things now and again because uh, kids 
came first. Yep. So um, Saturday mornings were out when they were playing sport because I was taking them to uh, netball, uh, Australian rules, whatever they were playing at the time. Yeah, that's generally what parents do. They spend their weekends carting kids around the place, umpiring or refing their games. Um, but you, you wouldn't have it any other way, really. No, uh, 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 you don't think about it. You just do it because um, you want to. Um, yeah, so uh, fam- family are great. And even now, I mean, my daughter's in uh, human resources and she was busy writing a CV for me because uh, the way I presented it many years ago is not current. So uh, they're still helping me. Sure. Are you, have you got any involvement with Rio or with the Commonwealth Games coming up? Um, I applied to uh, be a technical, international technical official for Rio. Um, they have, for the Paralympics, uh, they have lots of people. I was over in Dubai earlier this year, um, but they have made their selections. And um, I understand it. I've been there twice now, so other people are going to have a go in Rio. Com Games, um, I have a given an expression of interest, I think they call it, at Athletics Australia. Uh, Yes, I would like to be involved. No, I have not been appointed, even though I'm acting unofficially as a bit of a consultant as we speak. If I could ask a question. Yes, please. uh, You obviously had a very colourful career and you've been to a lot of different venues, Rob. How would you class the Sydney Olympics in comparison to other international Olympics you've been to? I have to agree with everybody who said it was the best games ever at that time. I think we have set the benchmark, Australia set the benchmark for future games. The London games mirrored very much what we did in Sydney, including the high chairs with uh, people spruiking on the top of them for the crowds going in and out, entertainment. Uh, The volunteers made the games in Sydney and they certainly copied everything we did in London. Other people, other places... Well, it depends how much money you have to spend. I mean, you don't pay your volunteers, but a uniform, (laughs) training, transport, etc., these are the things. Uh, I don't know how many volunteers they will have in Rio. Um, Australia, I think, always has, has had a volunteer culture. The UK had to crack that nut... There's not that much, or up until London anyway, there wasn't that much volunteering in the sporting area. Yes. In fact, school sport stopped happening after a, a teacher's uh, dispute. Um, and Saturday morning, when that's when I played my sport, didn't happen for many, many, many years. I believe it's coming back now because of the uh, effect that London Olympics had and the volunteers who were involved Amazing, amazing times. Um, Rob, we always ask this of our guests. If you could go back and call yourself at 20, what advice would you give to yourself? Take every opportunity offered. And I'm still doing that. Next week I'm going to Fiji for an Oceania event. I haven't been to Fiji before. So it's new, go. You might only do it once. In my case... I got bitten by the bug many years ago and now I keep doing other things because new opportunities are being... This is the first time I have done an interview such as this. Great. 
Great. Welcome that, to that, the that, media. That was probably probably the, one of the reasons why. <laughs> yeah. I'd never done it before. I've spoken on television. Yep. Um, and I've been inside a mascot uh, outfit for, remember, Norm Walking campaign, Get Fitness? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I was, that was, I, I so was that Norm was on one occasion. So that was you. Uh, well, <laughs> on one occasion, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, in, a, in a nutshell, if an opportunity presents itself, have a go. Wonderful. Last question, what's the future bring for you? Good question. Um, I'm not getting any younger, so I think I will keep going at doing different things. And Com Games on the Gold Coast is coming up in a year and a bit. So I think that's probably the carrot that's uh, keeping me going at the moment. Yep. However, uh, Oceania could offer something. IPC said, Rob, could you come to somewhere I've never been? And I will go. Uh, I, I mentioned that already, that uh, Dubai was this year. I've been to South Korea. Uh, I was a technical delegate for um, the biggest wheelchair marathon in the world in uh, Oita in Japan. To see 250-odd wheelchairs lined up for the start of a marathon wow. is not something you see every day. And it's those sort of experiences which just keep me going. Wonderful. So if you make me an offer... I'll think for about 10 seconds and then say yes. Wonderful. Rob Blackadder, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Trevor. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve, and great talking to you, Rob. My pleasure. Only too happy to spread the good word. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye.